This is Upfront on the Voice of America. I'm Jackson Vungani in Washington. On this episode of Upfront, in commemoration of World Press Freedom Day, we take a look at some of the progress made around the continent. Reports show that despite an overall trend of decline in press freedom, there are a few bright spots in countries that are working to improve their systems of governance. And we start in the Gambia, which until five years ago was considered one of the most repressive regimes under longtime dictator Yaya Jame. And as current president Adama Barrow begins his second term in office, a Gambian journalist speaks to me about the progress made in the country in terms of media freedom. So most of the journalists and um, human rights activists, including writers, were you know persecuted uh, uh, on those uh, draconian media laws that were uh, enacted by the uh, former regime of uh, Jamaica. That is Sene Marena. He's a Gambian journalist and founder of Alcamba Times, a digital news platform providing news and analysis about Gambian news and issues. And Reporters Without Borders says that media freedom in Uganda is on the decline. That's according to survey held in the country. As an opportunity to turn information to the society, but then if I'm being gagged, if I'm being arrested, if I'm being denied um, all that freedom, then that's a very big challenge. And as we come to what many say are the beginning stages of the end of the COVID-19 global pandemic, numerous studies show that due to restrictions like lockdowns and quarantines, many countries are dealing with increased depression, anxiety, distress, and other mental health challenges. We talked to Melanie Edwards, a Washington-area award-winning musician, that says that one of the solutions to combating mental health problems is through music. And as always, we'll hear from you, our listeners, in our Upfront on the Streets of Africa segment. I am uh, Barbara Kelvina Nafula. When it comes to agriculture, being the backbone of, 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 of Uganda, you find that uh, there is less motivation because uh, people cannot carry out trade so as to increase their income. So many of us, the youth, are being affected by uh, lack of jobs. You find that uh, recently there's been graduation, but you wonder where most of the graduates are going to to go after. You ask yourself, what's next? Uh, my name is Nicholas Rutaya. Income inequality, yes, it's a, it a, it's a problem in our country, and the only way we can, we can solve it is, is by distributing resources equally to all, to all the areas of the country. I'm Chiatunga Rebecca Juna. I am a Ugandan and I'm in Kampala currently. Yes, there's a lot of income inequality uh, alongside issues of gender and also issues of persons with disability. But also in terms of, of um, regions, so it's a huge challenge. However, what we can do is ensure that there is gender equality in terms of equal pay we find that some women, especially the grassroots women, are not getting their share of income. Um, but we also find that there are challenges that will hinder them to be able to be paid efficiently. We do not take into consideration the issues of child care, there's unpaid domestic care work. Uh, if they set a minimum wage bill, it means that we will be able to know that somebody can cannot be employed below this amount. But also follow up in regards to, to, to issues of gender and also issues of inequality. 
in case you're just joining us. This is Upfront on the Voice of America. You just had some of your voices all around the continent in our Upfront on the Streets of Africa segment. So it's been five years since Gambia's long-serving dictator Yaya Jame lost power through a democratic election. Jame first conceded, but eight days later retracted his concession while claiming that there was massive fraud in the elections. Jame had ruled Gambia for 22 years and had promised to rule for another billion years if God willed. And during his time as president, he was known for stifling dissent and clamping down the media. Reporters Without Borders estimated that over 100 journalists were forced into exile. You know, um, during Jame's 22 years of uh, brutal dictatorship, there was a total disregard for freedom of uh, the media and a freedom of uh, expression. That is Sene Marena. He's the founding editor of Alcamba Times, a startup digital news platform that targets Gambians at home and the diaspora. He was one of the journalists that managed to escape across the border to find safety in neighboring Senegal. At the time, it was also temporary home to then incoming President Adama Barrow, who was still mobilizing support from global and regional powers to intervene in the crisis in his country. So when I first spoke to Marena at the time, he was a journalist in crisis reporting about a crisis. I recently reached him in Seattle, Washington to catch up on the state of media freedom in Gambia a few months into current President Adama Barrow's second term in office. A lot of journalists, uh, civil society leaders uh, faced uh, uh, the law because of speaking out against um, Jammeh's brutality. So most of the journalists and um, human rights activists, including writers, were you know persecuted uh, uh, on those uh, draconian media laws that were uh, enacted by the uh, former regime of uh, Jammeh. This is this this include the law on uh, freedom of um, the law on false uh, information, sedition, libel, and criminal defamation. There was a um, lot of bad media laws uh, during Jammeh. These laws still exist, but they are not being applicable like during the Jammeh uh, era. Okay, so I don't know if you remember, but the first time you and I spoke, you, you were in Banjul. And then a few months later, when I called you, uh, you were in Dakar. Can, can you remind me how you got to Dakar and what you were doing there? Yes, my story, like many other uh, journalists in the Gambia, is kind of similar. I was um, uh, persecuted by the Jammeh regime for standing up against uh, uh, human rights abuses, against injustice in the Gambia. You remember INU spoke a couple of a month uh, before I flee into exile in Dakar. Uh, my reason of going into exile was that I was arrested and charged with... Um, uh, publication of false news. Uh, I auto a story uh, sometime in 2013, you know, where some members of the uh, diehard, diehard supporters of the former ruling party of uh, ex-president Ajame defected to the opposition United Democratic Party that was in power in 2017. So when I wrote that story, uh, the authorities in Banjul uh, claimed that my publication was false. So I was arbitrarily arrested by state agents you know, uh, interrogated and, you know, tortured, 
you know, before I was taken to the court to face the charges. So after 11 months um, going to face those criminal charges at the court, I was acquitted and discharged. That was unprecedented. I was the first Gambian journalist to be acquitted by Gambian court under the Yaya Jammes brutal rule. Uh, but few, few, uh, 24 hours after my acquittal, I was. I got tip off that you know they are coming to um, arrest me and to 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 bring another new indictments against me. So I decided to uh, flee for my own uh, security and personal safety to Dakar, where a lot of Gambians were also uh, uh, in exile, uh, including journalists, human rights activists, politicians, and lawyers. So yeah, I had in, to, in, including uh, uh, President Adama Barrow at the time, incoming President Adama Barrow, who was in. In Dakar, in, yes, uh, in, but, 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 not very far from each other, correct? Um, not actually. Barrow met me in exile. Barrow's exile was necessitated by the fact that yeah, Yaya Jame refused to step down when he was defeated by Adama Barrow in December 2016 presidential election. Um, Adama Barrow uh, was uh, declared winner by the Independent Electoral Commission, but Jame refused to accept uh, the, the, the verdict. So for Adama Barrow's safety and security then, ECOWAS decided to help him to leave the country while they, you know, uh, figure out what to do, you know, uh, uh, for Jammeh to leave power. So Barrow came into exile. He spent at least three weeks in Dakar, you know, where I met him. I became the first Gambian journalist to interview him when he came into exile. And then he was sworn in as the third president of the Republic of the Gambia in Dakar while he was in exile. So um, after a week after his swearing, he later returned back to Banjul, where he was also sworn in officially at the Independent Stadium, witnessed by regional leaders, uh, including ECOWAS, EU, and international communities. In case you're just joining us, this is Upfront on the Voice of America. My name is Jackson Vungani. We're speaking to Gambian reporter Sene Marena about the state of media freedom in his country, the Gambia. Gambia was ruled for 22 years by a strongman dictator, Yaya Jame, who stifled dissent and cracked down on the media. And one of those victims was our guest today, Sene Marena. Marena has appeared on this show many times previously, and I first spoke to him a couple of years ago when he was in exile in neighboring Senegal. So we'll talk about, uh, you know, what Barrow's uh, uh, time in power has meant for press freedom uh, for Gambian journalists like yourself. But I, I want to go back a little bit during the, the Jami era and a trial that is taking place in Germany that started, I think, around the 25th of last month of April uh, of uh, this gentleman by law, I believe, yeah. who is implicated in the death of uh, a journalist, uh, Dedra Hadara. Um, you know, Yaya Jame is accused of ordering the death in 2004, the murder of uh, this journalist, Dedra Hadara. What had uh, Hadara done or written about Jame that angered him that much that to order a hit on him? Um, uh, uh, Dada Hedra was a very prominent and well-respected Gambian journalist, a very uh, a serious critic uh, of uh, ex-president Yaya Jame. Uh, Mr. Hedra established or founded uh, the Point newspaper. Point newspaper was one of those 
independent, uh, critical independent uh, uh, private newspapers than in Banjul. So Mr. Hydra has a column in, in, in the Point newspaper called Good Morning, Mr. President. Uh, this uh, section brings in a lot of uh, burning issues uh, addressing uh, the challenges that ordinary Gambians are facing and also asking uh, Yaya Jame some pertinent questions with regard to governance, human rights in the Gambia. So Hydra was very critical uh, on, on those uh, aspects, on those uh, front lines. So Jame, who, you know, is anti-press, did not like the stand of this critical journalist, Mr. Hydra. So he, try, he decided to, you know, um, he decided to, you know, target him for his writing. So um, in, in December uh, 16, uh, 20, 2004, while the Point newspaper was celebrating its 13th anniversary, so Dede Hydra was assassinated, you know, allegedly by these uh, junglers. They are called the hit squad of the, pres- of the ex-president. So Bailo, who is currently in, uh, in German facing trial, you know, for uh, the unlawful killing of a journalist Hydra, was the driver of the junglers who assassinated Mr. Hydra on that fateful day, 16 December 2004. So, you know, uh, Hydra, um, Bailo himself admitted, uh, you know, uh, to his participation in the killing of uh, Mr. Hydra during an interview he had with uh, a Freedom newspaper, an online uh, digital platform, you know, in the U.S., you know, when Bailo had to run from the Gambia after falling, uh, uh, falling, uh, falling away from Jamme, you know, uh, and he went into exile in Jaman. So when he went into exile in Jaman, after his fallout with Jamme, he granted local media this interview detailing how he and other junglers who are currently implicated by means of the Truth Commission, and some of these uh, junglers are currently in Banjul, you know, so... You know, Bailo confessed, you know, that he participated mm-hmm. in the killing of Mr. Hydra. So, okay. it, yeah, the German right. authorities, with the help of uh, Trial International Human Rights Watch, you know, uh, you know, went after him because there is, there is a universality in, in, in German when it comes to uh, crimes against crimes. humanity. So Bailo, Bailo was charged you know, based on that uh, uh, aspect of the German and, law. And that law says that regardless of where the you crimes are. have been committed, yeah. that, uh, you can still be, you, you, you're still liable uh, yeah. in court, in German courts. Yeah, um, yeah. And, um, and this, so- is the, this is the first trial, you know, of post-German uh, uh, hitmen. You know, uh, since Jamme left power five years ago, there mm-hmm. has not been, you know, an international trial of, those accused of committing hideous human rights uh, 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 human right abuses in the Gambia. This is the first one, and one of Jamie's hintmen also is currently detained in Colorado, Denver. You know, Michael Correa. He has also been implicated in several you know killings in the Gambia. He's currently detained by the U.S. government, but okay. he's yet to face trial. That is Sene Marena. He's the founding editor of Alcamba Times a startup digital news platform that targets Gambians at home and the diaspora. In case you're just joining us, this is Upfront on the Voice of America. My name is Jackson Vunganyi. Thank you so much for joining us. Let's go to East Africa. In Uganda, the country has dropped several places in press freedom in a yearly survey by media watchdog Reporters Without Borders. The report says journalists face rampant violence, intimidation, arbitrary arrests, and illegal confinement. 
Mugume Davis Rwakarenji has more from Kampala, Uganda. Derek Wandela works for local English newspaper, The Daily Monitor, says he was arrested and detained for hours while on the campaign trail last December. He says that experience left him devastated. As a journalist, I feel that's the biggest injustice that can be meted to me. As a person who has gone to school, I've always heard that this um, as an opportunity to churn information to the society. But then if I'm being gagged, if I'm being arrested, if I'm being denied um, all that freedom, then that's a very big challenge. Such are the reasons that media watchdog, reporters, dot borders, or reporters Sans frontier, RSF, ranks Uganda on a global press index at 125 to 132 out of 180 countries. RSF says the safety of Ugandan journalists is at stake as they are often kidnapped, confined, arrested, or have their equipment confiscated. Carlton Skovia Nakamia, who works for local TV, Terefina, says such cases are all too common. She says she usually faces intimidation, especially when she reports on issues about governance or corruption. She was herself arrested and detained by men in uniform and later released without charge. It's just evident that um, the police officers and the security officers who violate human rights and journalism rights are instead promoted to higher ranks. That tells you how much there is no goodwill from government to see that uh, journalism rights, journalists and their rights are protected. Um, but we want to remind the government that journalism is a mirror. What we do is just to mirror what you do out there. If you don't want us to, to, to report about the things you do, then you shouldn't do those things. Uganda government spokesman Ofono Pondo admits some security personnel violate media rights. But he says his government is working on sensitizing them about the issue. For VOA News, I am Mugume. Davis Rwakarindi ni Kampala, Uganda. And let's go to Southern Africa in Malawi where the president Razaras Chakwera vowed never to prosecute anyone for speaking their mind as he became the first sitting leader to host journalists for World Press Freedom Day. But press activists in the country point to recent arrests for posting on social media messages that are critical of President Chakwera and police pressuring a journalist to reveal sources on government corruption. Lamek Masina has more from Blantyre, Malawi. Malawi's President Lazarus Chakwera vowed to protect press freedom in comments to journalists who were invited for the first time to the top leader's home for World Press Freedom Day. In the event broadcast on Malawi's state TV, Chakwera said if his administration feels unjustly defamed by media, they will simply lodge a complaint to regulatory agencies or the courts. But we must never seek to harm those who offend us in this way or try to deprive them of their freedom through illegal searches, seizures, arrests or invasive acts like hacking, harassment, and cyberbullying. These things have no place in a free society, and this is a free country. He invited the press freedom activists welcomed Chakwera's words, but said more actions were needed to prevent journalists from being abused. Teresa Ndanga is the chairwoman of the Media Institute for Southern Africa in Malawi. She told the president that Malawi's politicians 
and police have harassed, arrested and attacked journalists without consequence. We have tried to enlighten the public, approach successive inspector generals of police, secretary generals of political parties on the importance of safeguarding media freedom. But it is sad to say, sir, that nobody has been prosecuted and there is a spirit of impunity that continues to grow. Your Excellency, we need arrests, we need prosecutions, and people need to know that attacking a journalist is a crime. Malawi police in April detained investigative journalist Grigory Gondwe, who said they seized his computer and smartphone and tried to pressure him to reveal sources on a government corruption story. Gondwe's detention came just after Malawi's Attorney General Chakaka Nyirenda said he would take action against those who leaked the document used in his story. Gondwe's platform for investigative journalism website was later hacked, raising suspicions about possible police involvement. Social media posts have also come under scrutiny. Lamek Masina for VOA News, Blanta, Malawi. And as Zambia joins the rest of the world in celebrating World Press Freedom Day, journalists continue to work in a difficult environment where restrictive colonial laws are still in place. Successive governments have failed to enact laws to provide access to government information for more than 20 years, while cybersecurity laws infringe on media freedoms. Kathy Short reports from Lusaka. Activists say... Access to information held by state and private institutions promote a culture of transparency and accountability. In a democracy, these two aspects are key to realizing good governance. Bonfest Chembe is a human rights defender and executive director of the Southern African Center for the Constructive Resolution of Disputes, or SACOD, a coalition that advocates for public access to state and private institutions. There is no law that allows our citizens as well as our media practitioners to actually have a direct right to have access to uh, certain uh, information. We believe that the access to information has had a very negative uh, impact in as far as media freedoms are concerned, in that um, sometimes when media practitioners end up uh, using their uh, initiative to report on certain matters, you have other punitive laws that are enforced, such as the defamation of president law, um, among others which are colonial in nature. These tend to be used and ultimately tend to curtail media uh, freedoms. So it is very important that the access to information bill is enacted uh, into law. And in a move that was seen as another blow to the media is the enactment of the cyber security and cyber crime laws, which, according to the government, seek to promote the responsible use of social media platforms. It may also allow the government to listen to people's conversations without a court order. Zambian civil society organizations have taken the matter to court. McDonald Chipenzi is a journalist and governance expert. He's part of the coalition of local NGOs that includes Chapter One Foundation, GEARS Initiative, Bloggers of Zambia, 
and Alliance for Community Initiative that argues that the new law contains provisions that threaten the right to freedom of expression, among other constitutional guarantees. These are things that should have been the priority in the legal reform sector, so that quickly, quickly we move to in the right direction and support the process where citizens are free to participate in the governance of this country and we promote uh, deliberative and participatory democracy in our country. But the Zambian government insists that access to information will promote irresponsible journalism and says cybersecurity laws are needed to promote the responsible use of social media platforms and prevent misinformation. Critical journalists are regularly attacked and censored into conformity or arrested. The government says it is necessary to monitor the press to ensure professionalism by maintaining colonial laws for journalism and security. I'm Kathy Short for VOA News in Lusaka, Zambia. You're listening to Upfront on the Voice of America. I'm Jackson Vunganyu. Now, even though the global COVID-19 pandemic is not yet fully over, life in many parts of the world is slowly returning to normal as many governments continue relaxing or lifting pandemic-related restrictions. Studies show that due to restrictions like lockdowns and quarantines, many communities are dealing with increased depression, anxiety, distress, and many other mental health challenges that are making it difficult for them to achieve a state of happiness and wellness. I recently went to visit Melanie Edwards, an award-winning singer, songwriter, and multi-instrumentalist based in the Washington, D.C. area. Melanie recently launched a series of musical-mending workshops to help people cope with grief, anxiety, depression, and other mental health conditions. And she tells me that music has always played an important role in helping people heal collectively. Coming out of the pandemic where we've been isolated and struggling with all these challenges, it's a new way to connect that provides a forum of unity. What I mean by that is before the pandemic, we may have felt even isolated within our communities in different ways. Now everybody is going through a collective experience and everyone's challenged under the same guise. The music pulls everybody out of those isolation zones and brings back a way to converse, to express, to enjoy, to experience life. Everybody loves a concert. Everybody loves to get together and sing around a campfire. People are all creative in that capacity. And and music is the channel and a conduit to the other side. It's a way that we can all bring community back into a place where we can find commonality. I've just started working more in the realms of music as a healing modality. I've been a performer and a singer-songwriter on the stage for 28 years, but there has been something inside of me that has wanted to bring out more music as a service. And so I've developed this new way to try to help folks creatively cope using musical mending skills. I've always thought, and I still think today, that music and the art and creativity is not a gift, it's a birthright, that all of us have this natural ability to create. 
Since the beginning of this year, millions of people around the world have returned to work and children are going back to school. Many more are looking forward to getting out of the isolation and the return to social gathering events like concerts. However, as the pandemic-weary public begins what has been described as a new normal, many are still dealing with the negative impact the pandemic has had on their mental health. One of the things about music that I think most resonates with me is its ability to unify and unite all of us globally. It is a language that is universal. Everyone knows music and everyone can relate to it. Everyone speaks music. And so when we're playing music in any art form, really, we're able to bring these portals and these new ways of life together as one. Mental health experts have always pointed to the benefits of music therapy to treat various forms of mental health conditions, including depression and anxiety. Melanie says that music is a medium for processing emotions, trauma and grief and can be used to heal the mind. There is proof that when we have music and dance and movement, music and movement pull out trauma. That ability to, to primarily get into these places where things are stored, it's a way out, a channel out. Because we can talk about things in a, in a way that may not be direct. And health doesn't help, mental health is not just a linear way, it's cyclic. You can heal in a cycle like a circle. And music is like that, it's vibrational, it's sonic, it's not direct line. And so by doing dancing and movement and music in these art forms, we're able to get these traumas out and collectively unify them. Melanie, who is about to embark on her first trip to Africa, says that since we all as a global family suffer together, we can use music as a shared language to heal together. And that's it for this edition of Upfront. Thank you so much for joining us today on the show. You can catch up on our previous episodes by visiting our website at voaafrica.com. You can also connect with us on all social media platforms. We are on Facebook at VOA Upfront. We are also on Instagram and on Twitter. Until next time, I'm Jackson Vungani in Washington wishing you a great week ahead, Africa.